Hi guys, this is Betty Wild from Monsters and Mothers. If this is your first time here to the show, we have recently moved to Anchor.com. If you would like to subscribe to all five seasons, please click the link in the bio or visit me at MonstersandMothers.com. This is Betty Wild and you are listening to Whatever Shelley Wants, Shelley Gets. The Michelle Notek Story, Part 1. Michelle Notek was born April 15, 1954. Known as Shelley, she grew up to become something that you can only hear about in camp stories, in horror novels, whispers in the hall. This story is one that chills you because those left behind to tell the story are forever haunted by images, unerasable moments, memories, that left scars for generations. As little girls and boys, we look up at the glowing angel that gave us life with love and adoration. But for too many, this is not a happy reality. For many, the woman holding us is a true monster. These are their nightmares. Delve deep as we unravel the turbulent bonds between mother and child. You are listening to Monsters and Mothers with your host, Betty Wild. Shelley Notek was raised in Betrayal, Washington, home of false promises. It was a small town, so it didn't take much for one to become a big shot there, which is what Shelley's dad was in that town. A six-foot-two Star Trek athlete and football dreamboat, Les Watson was the catch. And in the 50s, girls surrounded him like he was a celebrity, and women lined up everywhere to become his sweetheart. He was the bee's knees to all the ladies. His family owned the bowling lanes and the nursing homes in town. Lara Stallings was a petite, curly-haired blonde with blue eyes who was saving money to go to college by working in Les's bowling alley. That's where the two would meet. She fell for his wit and charm, but Les was a man of many secrets. Though one of them being married once before, he was also ten years her senior. But when he met Lara, he lied about his age and told her that he was only four years older than her. But she was able to forgive this little detail because being married to Les made life a little easier. Something in her gut told her, though, that this wasn't going to be easy. And no sooner did she take her vows, Lara became an instant parent. One of Les's other secrets that he kept from Lara was that he had spawned from his previous marriage two children who wound up on their doorstep. Lara and Les received a call from Les's ex, Sharon, saying, When are you going to pick up these damn kids? But luckily now for Les and Lara, Only two of the children were their obligation. Sharon, his ex, was suffering from depression and had become an alcoholic, but she did decide to hold on to the infant, Paul. Lara could hear her loud and clear, her mother's voice carrying on in her head, warning her not to marry less. But swallowing her pride, she agreed to raise the two children Shelley, who was six, and Chuck, who was three. 
Shelley really was a fiery redhead, bright auburn locks, and a defiant demeanor that dominated every room she entered. If you could picture hell in the embodiment of a six-year-old child, little Shelley Notek could make Chucky look like a choir boy. Lara had one memory of Shelley, where she says that Shelley told her that she hated her every single day. As for the boy Chuck, he was very quiet, almost mute, and he rarely ever spoke. In the summer of 60, when the kids were dropped off like sacks of dirty laundry, their mother Sharon drove off, never to be seen or heard from again. She didn't call on birthdays or holidays. She just vanished. Looking over at Shelley, she was beginning to understand why. Shelley was not an easy child, and this left Lara feeling very uneasy. She found out that Sharon had a lot of history of abuse, and that her mother was married five to seven times. And back then, being married multiple times, it really marked you as a woman. There was also the rumor that Shelley had a twin that died at birth. Some time later, Lara would receive a call from the homicide detective that Sharon had been murdered and they needed someone to come identify her body. Lara gasped. This also meant her own funeral, that she would forever be bound to Shelley. They all made the trip to California, where they also picked up the third child, Paul. When they got there, they were informed that Sharon had shacked up with a strange man. She was also one that ran the streets and was primarily homeless and prostituting herself. Sharon was ultimately beaten to death, and her remains were unclaimed, and no ceremony was given, not even by her own mother, who had also refused her ashes when they were sent to her in Washington. Shelley would always claim that she felt no connection to her mother, and had little to say when she learned about how her mother had passed. Life after this poignant moment, though, seemed to change Shelley. Lara and Les had two more children after they had a little girl and a little boy. Lara made so many sacrifices for the kids, and no matter what she did, she could never make Shelley happy. Shelley created drama wherever she went and made life in the house a living hell. As she got older, she would find more and more ways to be rebellious. Anything was fair game because whatever Shelley wanted, Shelley got. Lara tried to get her into activities like dancing, which she would agree to, and then she would never go to her classes and refuse to show up for any performances. And just when you thought that she couldn't get any worse, she topped her last meltdown, like she was competing in the Olympics. Shelley grew colder and more menacingly evil as the years passed, with one agenda only, and that was to make people pay. Her sadistic behavior would be directed mostly towards the family, from spreading lies about them to stealing, causing fires, and one thing that she did that was so awful 
towards her siblings was that she would break glass into small shards and put them in her siblings' shoes to punish them for getting more attention than she did. This bad seed didn't just spawn from the pits of hell either. She inherited her tumultuous behavior from her grandmother, Anna Watson, Les's mother. Les's mother could cause the devil himself to step out of her way when she walked into a room. Anna Watson, born in Fargo, North Dakota, was a very large woman. Bigger than her size, though, was her hunger to be hateful. Anna also had a foot that would drag behind her when she walked, which gave her more of a monstrous appearance. She was cold and mean and ran her nursing homes like Nurse Ratchet. No one ever dared step out of place in fear of facing Anna's wrath. Remarkably, Anna found herself a loving husband named George. George, however, was more like a pet, a loyal pet, a pet that was made to sleep in a shed outside. George was a smaller man, but then again, Anna towered over many. His compliant behavior went on for 20 years. Yes, 20 years George slept in an 8 by 8 shed, never allowed to sleep indoors with Anna, his wife. Anna loved to be cruel. It was a power surge for her. Even at work, she terrified her employees. Some employees she would bring to tears and refer to them as retards. She would make them do demeaning tasks, and when they didn't do as she said, they were punished and received beatings, and she would even go so far as to shove their heads into toilets and flush. These same employees would have to come over to her house and clean. The only person who wasn't afraid of Anna was Shelley, her granddaughter. The two were inseparable. In Shelley, Anna saw herself, and she molded Shelley to be as terrifying as she was. When the two were together, it would give Lara a chill, knowing that the two together fed off each other, making them more excruciating to be around. Now that she was older, ready to strike while the iron was hot, Shelley did the unthinkable. One morning, Lara could feel that something was just up. Shelley hadn't come home from school yet. I'm sure she wished a gust of wind would blow her to oblivion. But her mother instincts kicked in, and she still worried. She wasn't terribly worried that anything could have happened to the indestructible Shelley. But she began to fear that Shelley was up to no good. Shelley did have a way of giving everyone PTSD in the house. So she stared out the window and down the streets. Yes, Shelley was definitely up to something really bad. Lara called the school to find out where her stepdaughter was, and it was just as she feared. Shelley was taken to a juvenile detention center in Vancouver, Washington. 
Shelley was only 14 when she unleashed the most vicious lie. Lara was frustrated. After hours of trying to get the school to tell her what was going on, they could only tell her that they were no longer obligated to give her details. So Lara phoned Les, and he could tell it was urgent and flew right over. They both headed to the detention center, each going over what they thought it could possibly be. Maybe she stole something or was in a fight. But nothing could prepare them for the words said directly to them when they arrived. The superintendent informed them that there was an allegation made by Shelley and that this matter was now under investigation. Shelley had accused her father of raping her. Lara almost fell over. Shelley's father, Les, stood there in disbelief. What the hell did she say that for? Shelley's vindictive move, this vicious lie about her father, attempting to destroy his reputation, all so she could live with her grandmother. But Les wasn't having it. When they refused him to see his daughter, he insisted that this child have a full exam now. Dr. Paul Turner was called and Shelley was examined. Back at the house, Lara tried desperately to see if there was something that she had done that failed this child, running every scenario in her mind, hoping to come up with some understanding of why Shelley was the way Shelley was. Lara's heart racing, she ran down the hall to Shelley's room. Her eyes were darting around for a clue. Shelley always kept a room like a bomb had gone off. All she could find were stacks of plates and food and dirty clothes everywhere. Frustrated, Lara collapsed on Shelley's bed. Sobbing in tears, she wiped her nose with her hand. When she sat up on the bed, she could see that a magazine was sticking out from the mattress. When she pulled it out, the blood ran from Lara's face. It was a copy of True Confessions magazine, with the head title in bold letters. I was raped at 15 by my dad. Lara quickly brought the magazine to Dr. Turner's office. She told them that Shelley made the whole story up. After the physical, the doctor returned and announced that Shelley was still intact, meaning that she was still a virgin, and that there was no bruising down there to suggest that she was ever touched. The doctor suggested that Les and Lara put Shelley in counseling. After hours of therapy, they were no closer to understanding why Shelley was so angry. Afterwards, Shelley's high school refused to let her return every school they looked at, no one would take in Shelley. Her reputation preceded her. Every single school had heard about the scene she caused and they didn't want the trouble that seemed to follow Shelley. Lara eventually found a Catholic boarding school, St. Mary of the Valley. 
they agreed to take her. Well, Lara decided it was in her best interest to keep certain details from the nuns. She didn't let the nuns know what a troubled mess Shelley really was. But it only took a few weeks, though, before they were insisting that the family come pick up their sweet little nightmare for weekends. Even the nuns, who were known to be very strict and domineering, couldn't handle Shelley. Shelley had resurrected her favorite bit of breaking up glass and putting it in her classmates' shoes. Shelley was also stealing and lying from her friends in school and making everyone miserable. For a brief moment, the rest of the family did get to enjoy some time without Shelley being around before having to go pick her up. The nuns also refused to let her re-enroll the following year. It was at this time that Lara noticed that the other children were actually showing signs of being destructive tyrants as well, but they were still manageable compared to Shelley. Now with no school willing to take Shelley, no matter what they offered to pay them, they endured endless nights of Shelley emotionally draining everyone in the family. But life wasn't entirely unfair to Lara. Shelley's Aunt Kate entered the picture, and Shelley instantly took a liking to her aunt, and she did whatever she could to get the aunt to believe her sob story, and just like that, Kate, Les's sister, took her in. It was a blessing, and Lara got the break she needed. Katie would call in a few weeks to let Lara know that she would be keeping Shelley. Lara tried to contain her excitement. But like all of Shelley's beginnings, those around her began to feel the weight of this cursed child. And not too much later, Shelley became the wielding axe that came between her Aunt Kate and her husband Frank, causing Frank to leave. Thankfully, though, Shelley was now at the age where she would be an adult soon and no longer needed to be pawned off. Shelley had finally met a man. Living with her Aunt Kate meant also that Shelley was the new kid in town. She had developed into a buxom redhead that was catching the eyes of many men. But there was one in particular that Shelley fell for. Randy. She felt it in her bones that he was the one, but he didn't. It was short-lived, because he was going to college, so the two weren't together very long. Unfortunately, this brought a depressed Shelley back home, where she began to work for her dad in the nursing homes, and she came up with a plan she was not able to get Randy off her mind. She decided to give him a call, and Shelley offered Randy a way for them to be together, and he could save money for college. Her dad eagerly offered Randy a good job and a place to live for free. Little did Randy know what he was walking into 
and how desperate the family was to get rid of Shelley. The poor man was practically thrown into a wedding, and anything he asked for, they gave him. Randy's family mysteriously didn't attend the wedding, because Les and Lara never sent them invitations. They didn't want to take any chances on him being talked out of this. This free, promised place to live, though, was a 40-foot trailer, and not exactly the glamorous life Shelley wanted, especially after being known around town as Les's daughter. But neither were making enough to afford a house at the time, so they made do. Shelley then was fired from two jobs and downright quit working. She didn't have a domestic bone in her body either. She didn't cook. She didn't clean or do laundry. And more and more, she began to resemble her grandmother, Anna. Shelley did what Shelley always does when she wants her way. She goes to her daddy for it. She needed a new car. And not just any new car. She wanted a brand new Volkswagen Beetle convertible. So she asked her dad for one. Now, even though Shelley had accused him of raping her, he still did whatever Shelley asked for. So Les drove to Vancouver to find her a car. Shelley ran to her window and can hear her dad's car coming. She bursts through her trailer doors like an excited child. Her eyes at first widened with this excitement that quickly turned to rage when she saw what her dad had bought her. A pink Buick convertible. Now, straight out of Willy Wonka, if you could picture Baruka throwing a tantrum, Shelley took one look at the car and went into a rage. Her screams scared the birds out of the trees, and every spine went cold. Shelley screamed at her father, I'm not driving that old maid's car. And she stormed off. Les immediately knew he should have known that she would behave this way. Shelley put on a show and poured herself into a drunken stupor. She was found with a bottle of sleeping pills next to her passed out. Randy, her husband, found her, and he called the family, and they rushed her to the emergency room, where they pumped out her stomach, only to find out that she had only taken two aspirin. On another eventful episode, Randy was coming home from school. He was still attending college at this time when he found his beloved Shelley in the trailer looking like she had been smacked by a door a thousand times in the face. Already regretting asking what had happened, Shelley threw on the theatrics and told him that she was attacked and raped by intruders. So Randy called the police and searched the grounds with his rifle to see if the intruder was still there. He found nothing. 
the sheriff and her father arrived. After hearing Shelley's account and looking inside the trailer, the sheriff came out and said that the wounds were self-inflicted and that her story was untrue. Shelley tried to change her story, and she ran to the spot to show them where the intruder hid the weapon. At this point, everyone was tired of her lies, but in the end, Shelley got what Shelley wanted. A wheelhouse in town. It did get her off the property, and hopefully this would stop the countless fits that were causing the family embarrassments. Still, with no job, she ran up tabs all over town and left Randy following around having to pay her debt when he went into establishments. It became very clear to Randy now why the family was so excited for him to marry Shelley. She was his problem now. Shelley had a big announcement, and from the looks on everyone's faces, it was as though someone had announced that a barracuda was now joining the family. Shelley was pregnant, and up until this point, Randy's family had yet to come for a visit, and Shelley hated the idea of them coming. But Randy put his foot down this time even though it would cause him a world of embarrassment. But Shelley decided to lock herself away the entire time that the family was there. And to be honest, I think it was better this way. Of course, Shelley didn't like that. She didn't like that anybody was having fun without her. So after they left, she threw away the gifts that Randy's family had gotten unborn child. He was furious with her. Randy's sister also called the house to let them know she had left some of her clothes there by mistake. And Shelley said she would mail the clothes back to her, which was thoughtful and awfully sweet of Shelley. But Shelley never does anything sweet for anybody. So when Randy's sister's clothes arrived in the mail, she was horrified to find her clothes in pieces and that it appeared that they were cut with scissors. To survive Shelley meant avoiding Shelley whenever possible. Shelley resented her daughter before she was even born. She complained regularly that the baby was ruining her body. No one had any faith in Shelley's ability to be a caring mother and worried for the child growing inside her belly. After this birth, Lara was immediately protective and felt connected and responsible for this baby girl. February of 1975, Nikki was born, a beautiful baby girl. Shelley even bragged about it as though her child's beauty would shine on her, seeing as that she was where she got her looks from. After Nikki arrived, though, Shelley's behavior towards Nikki's father grew colder, and Randy confessed to Lara that the only time she was nice to him 
was when people were around. Shelley derived the most pleasure by bringing misery to others. Her family were her main targets. And from then on, Randy would be nothing more than a paycheck. And just as Shelley's grandfather, he was made to sleep outside of the house. Randy was made not to sleep in the shed, but in his car. Shelley became more and more demanding about everything and wanted Randy's checks. Up until this point, Randy was working for Les. And then, just like that, Les decided to send the checks directly to Shelley. The idea behind this was that it would keep him from straying from home. But all it did was make his decision easier. He decided he had to get out of battleground. His marriage to Shelley was a war he wanted no part of any longer. So his parents bought him a plane ticket, and he left his child with this monster. After draining Randy of funds and watching him walk away from his responsibilities, Shelley did the exact same thing. She dropped Nikki off with Laura and skipped town. She got a job as a waitress. This went on for a year without even a pop-in. Which was a great relief to Laura. She really wanted Nikki. But even this was short-lived. One day, Laura was heart-stricken when Nikki was taken from her and wished that she had filed to adopt her. As Nikki was growing up, Shelley would tell her daughter that her father and grandparents didn't love her and that it was just going to be the two of them. And any presents or gifts that would arrive at the house, Shelley would claim that they came from her. Soon, Shelley met a gentleman of the name Dan Long. The two married in the summer of 78, which was also the same year Sammy was born. Shelley was only 24. The new family moved into Shelley's grandmother's house in Battleground, a house that was promised to her by her grandmother. Sammy was also a beautiful baby with blonde curls and big blue eyes, eyes that were not meant to see the horror horror that was quickly unfolding around her. Danny wasn't Shelley's usual pushover man that she was used to. Danny was a good father and loved the kids. However, he was hot-blooded like Shelley, and tempers flared. And the not-so-fine china went crashing through the walls at every turn. The couple created their own war zone, and after five years of torment, the only thing left of the couple were the holes in the walls. Nikki missed her father. He wasn't cruel like her mother. After this split, Nikki was told to call any man who came into the home Daddy. This gave her nightmares, which she was having on a regular basis. Life in the home was filled with violent rages and uncertainty. 
but uncertainty for what. One night, Nikki woke up, unable to breathe and gasping for breath. A pillow was being forced over her mouth. It was dark, and when Nikki screamed for her mother, her mother appeared. But so quickly, just standing there, asking her what was wrong, as though she weren't the one that just tried to suffocate her. This left Nikki destroyed. She didn't know what just happened, but her mother seemed to act like nothing was wrong, and she had just woke up from a bad dream or something. This was only the beginning of the hell Nikki and her sister were about to endure, all at the hands of their mother. The girls, Sammy and Nikki, were both used to men in and out of their lives. Their mother would go out and leave them alone at all hours of the night while she went to bars looking for men to take to bed or to take care of her. This time, though, she would catch the affections of a shy fellow whom had a history of being a rather laid-back surfer type the ladies liked. David Notek was from California, and on this very day he would call it chance that he happened to walk into the Sore Thumb Bar. He hadn't even planned on being in Washington at the time when he pulled into the parking lot in his VW Bug for a drink. I'm pretty sure there were eyes on that bug even before he set foot inside that bar. When Dave walked in, he fell dead smack, head over heels, for a wild-haired redhead, who, when he laid his eyes upon her, was already being flirted with by other men. Shelley reminded him of old Hollywood and the stunning beauties that graced the screens. Dave had to have her, and to his surprise, Shelley left the crowd of men surrounding her and walked over to his table and sat down. She immediately told him she had two daughters, as though it were a requirement of hers that he get past his kid issues from the start. She completely blew him away, and he asked her for her phone number. What was strange was that after this couple met, the bar mysteriously burned to the ground. It was as though he made a deal with the devil himself that fateful day. Shelley methodically destroyed all traces of who David used to be. Friends of his would tell you about how they remembered David as a gentle, free-loving person. Shelley methodically destroyed all traces of who David used to be. Those who remembered David can only tell you about the gentle, free-loving person he was before he met Shelley. Shelley, at this point, was a con artist. Her new con was that she convinced those around her that she was dying from cancer. And Dave bought it hook, line, and sinker. 
He feared that the love of his life was indeed dying of cancer. And even though Shelley was only 30 and looked completely fine, he took her word for it. He at this point was very attached to the girls and worried about who would take care of them when she passed. So he did the noble thing, and on December 28, 1987, they made it official. And David married his dear Shelley. This would also be the day her grandmother died. Yet again, Les Watson was glad to be rid of Shelley and her lies. He was still refusing to take her calls, and still in disbelief of how deceitful she had been all these years. He was happy once again that she was someone else's problem. This was a union that spawned straight out of hell and lit the ground it walked upon with fire. The Notex moved their family to Old Willapa into a craftsman-styled house called the Ladderback House. This house itself looked as if it were possessed with entities, and those who dared walk upon it would suffer great multitudes of torment. It was an enormous house, and way out of their budget, and still with no help coming from Shelley, David was left to foot the bill. The house came with a large basement that was dank and dreary, and in this basement was a furnace that roared like it was almost screaming in the belly of the house. The diesel oil could be smelled throughout. This, you could say, was the start of everything sinister about to take place. This concludes part one. Thank you for listening to Monsters and Mothers. Subscribe to hear more chilling accounts of mothers who commit unspeakable horrors.